You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. It is Wednesday evening, February 1st. My gosh, we already blew through January. I'm telling you, I have not come up for air this entire month. I mean, any of you who follow my writings, everything else we're doing here at Conservative Review, this is, I've never experienced a time like this, where there is so much need for guidance, for truth, for proper news, proper analysis, proper path forward, cutting through with original thought. We're going to talk a lot about originalism today. Um, But original thought, unlike most of the conservative online uh, community, which is just a bunch of uh, thumb-sucking groupies, we'll get into that in a minute. But but that's what we're here, to cut through the hot air, stuff that you're not going to hear elsewhere. Because frankly, if you will, I won't say it. (laughs) What's the purpose? You're you're always going to hear something different here. You're going to hear something important. Um... And that's the thing, you know, I wrote a book last year, Stolen Sovereignty, that basically is one of the, probably one of the most seminal books written in recent memory from a conservative perspective on the courts, on immigration, and on the convergence of the two. The role of the courts in immigration, which is none. And, um, you know, religious liberty, marriage ties in there too. This all kind of ties together. And... Both these issues are converging in spectacular fashion. Everything I warned about last year, I envisioned a time when perhaps we might get, you know, a president willing to enforce immigration laws, willing to return back to our true history, traditions, and laws on immigration, and the courts would give us a problem. I envisioned a time where not just on immigration, but in general, we'd have control of 33 state legislatures and the federal government and everything we want to do, the courts will throw out. You know, election law, um, you, you know, religious liberty protections, things that, that matter to society. Obviously marriage, you know, that that's already, uh, you know, a foregone conclusion here. And the amazing thing is there's not a lot of intellectual firepower out there that understands it, even on our side. And I felt the need, you know, Saturday night, I was up until three, three in the morning, just defending and, and explaining what the Trump executive order did, which was pretty much essentially existing law. It was very modest. Um, and, and people didn't understand it. We put together a list of 16 quotes from our founders, early case law court cases, early important uh, Supreme Court justices and, and uh, you know, important international, uh, uh, you know, legal theorists, that a country has the full right to secure its sovereignty. So if anyone ever says, oh, we can't ban this immigration, that immigration, or we have to let this in, I'll put this in the show notes. Make sure you see that post, my 16 quotes that showed definitively that the most settled area of our law, and it's written that way from 1799 to 1977 until recently they've been chipping away at it, that's been our law. 
And the reason why I want to segue from the first half of the week where we're talking about immigration law to the courts is because I want to use that to frame my thoughts on Neil Gorsuch. And I know a lot of you have reached out to me on social media. I really appreciate it. You know, I, I wrote a book on the on this topic, and you're all wondering what I think about it. I really appreciate, you know, you guys trusting my my instincts. But I want to answer you. I want to frame the issue the way I always do. I want to frame it, not in terms of Neil Gorsuch, because frankly, I don't have a lot to say about him, but I do have a lot to say about him. Um, but about the broader context, understanding the history of how bad the judiciary has gotten, how much we've been screwed over, what we really need, not just in a jurist, but reforming the courts wholesale, and therefore coming to the conclusion why I'm a little bit underwhelmed and somewhat cautionary concerned, is this really the best we can get? You know, not that I'm concerned about getting a suitor, we're not, um, but but that's that's where I want to take this. And I just want to frame it in terms of, I, I got to say this, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, as you know, I usually don't bash other people. Um, I mean, I bash politicians, but, you know, other people in this space that maybe do similar things that I do. There's no ego there, but I'm, I'm, I'm very disappointed that there's no conservative movement left. Um, most of the conservative professional movement is A, libertarian, and B, thumbsuckers. And what I mean by thumbsuckers is, so... Saturday night, Trump comes out with his executive order. Now, the irony is, as you know, of all people, I was among, you know, the harshest critics of Donald Trump. But, you know, the guy actually fulfilled a promise and it took guts and he did it. And he had all the protests, the blowback. And you should see our guys. I mean, even even some of my staff here on, you know, a conservative review are getting a little scared because all they do is watch political Twitter and they think political Twitter is America. Oh, boy, we're taking on water. I don't know. I don't know. This wasn't such a good idea. I don't know. Wasn't implemented so well. Maybe he shouldn't have done LPRs. You know, that type of nonsense. And and that was that was like gospel from that that was the talking point. What happens is one conservative thumbsucking writer at National Review, Weekly Standard, you know, Washington Examiner, one of these publications you know, writes a story, and then everyone just picks up, and it's like group think. You know, if the first 10 people pass gas on Twitter one direction, you know, they say this guy's good or this policy's good, well, you're not going to want to be the odd man out saying it's bad. Or if they say it's bad, you're not going to want to say it's good. So, you know, I believe the Washington Examiner, if I remember, they they published an editorial, not just an individual writer, but an editorial just saying how um, basically, you know, this was illogical, immoral, wrong, horrible... You name it. I mean, the worst, they, they threw every everything they really had at Trump, they threw at him. And like, what a bunch of cowards. What a bunch of cowards. I, I, I mean, really? You're now to the left of where Democrats were in 2002 when they passed a similar thing? So anyway, that's where we are with that. Um, so these same guys... The minute Trump announces Gorsuch as a Supreme Court nominee, oh my gosh, this is the best thing in the world. I believe the Washington Examiner as well was like, this guy's better than Scalia. And like, meanwhile, like, be quiet. Okay, everyone has to have an opinion of it, but no one's ever heard of the guy except for the few people in the circles that know him. Um, he's not one of the more notorious ones like Judge Pryor or Diane Sykes. Um, 
you know, or Mike Lee and Ted Cruz that have more of a paper trail, more of a fire in the belly. You know, we don't we don't know a lot. The, the the part we know is impressive and nice and it's good, but it's still very incomplete. Not to say that what we don't know is bad. It could be very good, but it's it's incomplete. And like, stop shooting your mouth off. But what I'm finding is an interesting trend that the conservative blogosphere is so off base that they fail to criticize Trump when he's wrong. And when he's right, they criticize him. And as you know, my game here is not to criticize Trump or not criticize him. It's to give a path from forward for what we affirmatively believe in. When it coincides with Trump, great. When it doesn't, it doesn't. But at a given time, what's a reasonable expectation of what we should be able to accomplish? And again, I know I'm taking a long time to get to Gorsuch himself and 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 the court, uh, you know, the court pick. But I, I just want to frame this in terms of expectations. You know, I'm having this a lot that they'll they'll count every last thing Trump did. Oh, he got Keystone Pipeline. Oh, he did this. He did that. And it's like they count it as 5000 things. Oh, so, Daniel, don't criticize one or two things. You can't get everything. And it's so vapid because it all depends on the nature of what it is and what you think you can get and what you can get away with politically. Most of the stuff he's done is a no-brainer. I mean, when you elect any Republican, especially after the most radical Obama policy, yeah, we know you're not going to get rid of Medicare and Medicaid. Yeah, we know you're not going to abolish the minimum wage. But, you know, and, and frankly, I have no, like I've told you before, I have no, um, un, I have no expectation that we're going to reduce the debt. We're only going to add to it. That stuff is not going to get taken care of in this presidency. And, and, you know, frankly, it takes a long time to put such policies into place, and you're not going to do it through executive order. But some of this basic stuff, it's like, yeah, like a no-brainer. If if Obama is destroying religious liberty, you're going to overturn that. So, you know, the executive order on immigration was the first big one that was like, I, I went all out. And I there was nobody on the web that defended him with stronger um, rhetorical arguments, stronger historical arguments, st- stronger legal arguments than I did. And I was happy to do that. And most of these guys were downright on the other side. And... You know, where do, where's an example of what I'm talking about? And and again, you're going to see how this all ties into the court and, and the expectations. The transgender homosexual agenda executive order. So this is this is emblematic of everything. This is emblematic of how we have become such leftists, of how we've successfully allowed Democrats to win 50-year um, culture wars overnight, how... Not only is there no such thing as a social conservative anymore, there's no such thing as a social libertarian. We're all a bunch of social extreme leftists, cultural cultural Marxists, every Republican. And how we use and advance the rhetoric and arguments of the other side. I noticed that Trump was not repealing the transgender executive order. Um, I noticed that. Now, I didn't criticize him because he was very busy. He was doing a lot of other things, and you can't do everything in one week, and I get that. But what he did yesterday was not just, oh, not repeal it. He affirmatively announced that he supports it and he's keeping it. And he used the entire rhetoric of the left. Just the, just so you know, this thing is being sold to the public as an anti-LGBFUCKQYZ sexual identity soup protection, right? Anti-discrimination. So the way they frame it, it's amazing how the other side succeeds in this. They'll take the most immutable laws of nature and contort them, and they'll make that the default position. And then it's us who are the radicals like trying to discriminate or something. 
So what what that would look like is if we would push an executive order that did the following, that said the government cannot engage in any contracts with anyone who allows men and female bathrooms in their corporate headquarters. But nobody is doing that. We're not pushing anything. It's Obama went in, and there's one thing to tolerate it, to whatever, you know, but o- Obama essentially codified the, A, the, um, criminalization of Christianity, of Judaism, of all major religions, even Islam, if you think about it, um, and not just religion. I mean, just, I, I say this all the time. You don't have to be a social conservative or religious to not buy into the transgender agenda. I'm, I'm just sorry, or even the homosexual agenda. It's not, you know, that big of a deal. But what this order did was bar government contract, the government from engaging in any contracts, a defense contract or anything else, if that guy essentially believes in traditional marriage, that corporation, or in their corporate headquarters, if the government said the government officials could say, "Wait a minute, do you allow men to pee in female bathrooms?" No. Boom. We're not. We're not doing a, a business with you. I mean, that's a big freaking deal. That that has to be overturned. The default is, and again, we're not asking Trump to get up there. This is not social conservatism. Social conservatism would be the other way around, where you downright say, "Look, we're a Judeo-Christian nature nation. You could do what you want, but you know, we're not going to do business with you if um if you do crazy things like that." Now, I, I don't, you know, I'm not saying we're do that. Whatever, I'm just saying if you do the good job, we'll hire you. If not, we won't. And Trump himself would be a great ambassador for this because he's not known as a social conservative. Um, he's known as a smart businessman. He could get up there and say, look, if you do the job, you're hired. If you suck, if, if you suck at it, you're fired. You know, that's his brand, his old brand from Celebrity Apprentice. And, and, is, and therefore, I'm repealing Obama's egregious order to impose discrimination on people that have traditional values. I don't care what your values are. We're open to business for everyone. That's all you have to say. That is the ultimate libertarian view. But no. No, nothing, nothing. Ah, so what did he do for us? On the same day, so he conveniently timed it, Neil Gorsuch. Now, I want to just say one thing off the bat. Why do we why do we want to be so careful about having good guys in the court? Because we don't want the courts to do things like they probably will do in a few weeks in the in the Grim v. Gloucester County case which is create an unalienable right to transgenderism and force states and feds and even private entities to service transgenderism and whatever other, you know, additional alphabet soup. Like I said, we're going to get to pedophilia, nudity, you name it. Any behavior is now an immutable law of nature, but an immutable law of nature is discriminatory, uh, whatever. But anyway, that's why we want a good court, Okay. So Trump just did this through the front door. I mean, so he screwed us of the front end like, oh, here's your good judge. Now, let me just summarize. We've been screwed four out of 17. We, 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 since World War II, we've batted four for 17. We've gotten four out of 17 judges right on the Supreme Court. In other words, Republican presidents have had 17 opportunities. We've only had about four decent ones um that's thomas scalia alito and Rehnquist. and and i will say and this is going to be relevant to our discussion i love sam alito and i'm actually going to quote from him in a minute um 
but he's not on par with Thomas and, and Scalia and no, no one would tell you that he's not as bold. I think intellectually he agrees, but therein lies the problem. I used to vet candidates for Senate and House, as you guys know, and, you know, everyone used to laugh and say nobody's good enough for Daniel. I know I always get that you're a purist. But as you know, I wind up being proven right, because every Republican, when they run for office, is pro-life, pro-marriage, hates Obamacare for lower taxes, lower regs for national security, secure the border, except when it comes time to actually affect and actualize that in a meaningful way, everyone's hiding under a rock and no one's for it. Hence, nobody wants to repeal Obamacare. Nobody wants a true flat tax. Nobody wants to touch religious liberty, much less marriage with a 10-foot pole. So, you know, like, give me a break. So that's where we identified a guy like a Ted Cruz, a certain temperament and certain resolve, a certain resolve that demonstrates to us the confidence that you will fight for it. What you believe intellectually is meaningless if you're not going to do what it takes to serve as a voice, to use leverage points, to to go and do it at every opportunity. Um, You know, a lot of people think Ben Sass, Tim Scott are conservatives, you know, and let's say on paper they agree with most of what Ted Cruz does, although Ben Sass recently came out against the executive order, which I don't understand. But, um, you know, there's a there's a you know, you guys are probably laughing because, you know, there's a huge difference between the two. Huge difference. Ted will actually fight for it. The other guys will quietly vote the right way when they need to, but they're not going to do much for us. I mean, that is just a reality. So we need the equivalent of a Ted Cruz on the judiciary. And that would be a Clarence Thomas. I'll give you an example of what we're looking for. Clarence Thomas, while back uh, in 2015, one of the worst cases ever from Anthony Kennedy in the Texas case with disparate impact, meaning codifying into law that anyone could bring a lawsuit in any sphere of law and basically say there's not enough blacks in this or not enough Hispanics and and that alone is, you know, grounds for a lawsuit. I mean, that is so disruptive to our society. It, it's the liberty that it that it uh, destroys. It's, it's unbelievable. Terrible decision from Anthony Kennedy. But the foundation for that decision comes from 1972 case Briggs, where um, basically the court initially codified disparate impact into employment discrimination uh, of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. So, so Clarence Thomas began his dissent in the 2015 case saying, your entire thing is built upon sand. It's built upon the 1972 case, and frankly, that entire case has no shred of legitimacy. Right? That, that's what we need. There is enough existing bad jurisprudence that they can get us on, and you got to uproot it. So that's what we need. Now, you know, until now, again, now, and gosh, we've already chewed up 18 minutes here. There's so much more to say. But let me take this a step further. As you well know, I don't have my heart in this business, this fight, because I believe, and as I've demonstrated, anyone who's read my book has read our hundreds of perhaps maybe maybe a hundred articles on the courts, the lower courts, everything the lower courts are doing to us. The courts are, as, as Alito says, the, the, the legal construction, the constitutional interpretation, the legal profession is irremediably broken. 
And as illustrated by what I said before, how they could take 200 years of settled sovereignty law and just throw it out the window. But once they do it once, our side abides by that as settled law. Even the conservative judges, most of them pretty much do that. Again, I'm not going to bore you. I'm going to link to my article, 12 Reasons Why the Federal Judiciary is Irremediably Broken, Why By Merely Appointing Better Judges, You're Not Going to Make a Difference. Remember, even if this guy was the best thing since Moses, even if he was a Clarence Thomas, which I'm I'm almost positive he's not, um, it, it would still be five to four. Right. I mean, the other side, still, you would need another vacancy. And even then, Roberts is wishy-washy on a lot of things. Um, and even then, the court, the lower courts are a dumpster fire, and it's going to take years to flush that out. And, I, and by the way, I'm going to have future pieces demonstrating why we're not going to be able to flush them out, partly because it's so hard to find a Clarence Thomas when you get one choice for Supreme Court. Certainly, all the multiple choices of lower courts, they just don't exist, and there's certainly no paper trail of it. Very few of them. I mean, the conservative legal profession sucks. I'm sorry. I mean, that's that's just what it is. But anyway, so I don't even care. But no one seems to agree with me. And it's all about, oh, appointing the best judge. We're not going to do judicial reform and just say the courts don't have the power and we're going to use Congress to take back the power. Let's appoint better judges. Okay, let's appoint. So if this is what you ran on and you have such a mandate and the American people know there was a national debate over this and we won. And you have a Republican Senate, so you don't have to worry about getting a guy through. And we're going to abolish the filibuster anyway, as it looks, no matter what the Democrats are going to oppose the guy. So no matter what, you're going to have to abolish the filibuster. So that die is cast. And keep in mind, we're not overturning like Kennedy's seat, where it's easy to move it to the right. We're taking a Scalia, who is a 9 or a 10 on the scale. So you're rolling the dice. You know, Best case scenario, you get the court back to... The Obergefell court, which Scalia himself said at the end of his life was the worst, the most liberal the court's ever been. But that's the point. So, so anyway, to finish that thought. Therefore, if you get one shot at this and the Federalist Society was created to do this, this was their job. Wouldn't you pick the guy with the most demonstrable record pedal to the metal on all our issues that you know not just the libertarian, regulatory, administrative state issues, but all the social issues, all the election law issues, all the affirmative action issues, doesn't believe in a shred of the 14th Amendment jurisprudence, will totally do uproot stare decisis, doesn't believe in birthright citizenship for illegals, d- d- believes in the plenary power, power doctrine, all this stuff that no one's even talking about, but it, it's exactly what we're dealing with, um, that there's no shred of viability for the federal courts to overturn state election laws. Um that's one of the biggest threats, by the way. I, I have more cases I didn't have time to write about, but Wisconsin, Alabama, the courts are throwing out their districts, handing Democrats electoral advantages every single day. And Roberts never grants cert to the lower court, you know, the appeals from the lower courts, uh, you know, when they issue bad decisions. So you get one shot at this. One shot. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you make sure it's a guy on par with a Janice Rogers Brown, Edith, Edith Jones, Priscilla Owen. And again, those people I know are old by now. So just though they're pushing 70 or whatever in their 60s, you're not going to appoint them. But people like that. But no, we wanted someone very young and then they don't have such a record. What I'm getting at is this. I don't know. I don't know where this guy is. I think at a minimum, it's a solid base hit. But I thought we were going for a home run. We have the ability to get it. You know, if the Democrats had had the majority, I would say this is an amazing pick because he's very impressive. 
there's no great kind of fiery quotes from him to you know get in the craw of the democrats and that's why if you notice they're not really hitting him that much they're complaining about it's a stolen seat from garland they're just hitting obama i hate republicans i'm gonna block him but they don't they're not saying he's gonna put you in they're not borking him um because frankly i don't think he is gonna be a robert bork um and i think they know it but you know i think he's a guy you can get through if the democrats had it he to say daniel he's not a suitor of course he's not a suitor but but, i mean that's ridiculous uh, that's our only expectation at this point are you nuts he could be a roberts i mean remember roberts was very impressive background and by the way since when was an impressive you know harvard education and i'm not not knocking it most of them wind up having it but when is that like a plus you have to have that all and all his awards he's intellectual that's great but i mean (laughs) that that's that was never the solution we want to know not just where a where you stand on all these issues, and b do you have the guts to overturn it? And that that's that's the big thing. I have no doubt Neil Gorsuch is pro life. Probably, I assume he's personally for traditional marriage. Maybe I don't need nowadays. You can't even assume that. Are you going to overturn Obergefell? Are you going to overturn all the Fourteenth Amendment stuff? You know, again, if you have one shot at it, and don't give me this, Daniel. Don't be a purist thing. We have the right and the opportunity. You you get one shot. You can pick anyone you want. And you have the votes to do it. The stars rarely align like this. And it's in the first hundred days when you have the most political capital. It comes fresh off the election when everyone was expecting this. Do it. I you know, I I you know, John Roberts was was very well regarded, and so much so that Bush elevated him and said, you know what, I'm gonna actually make you chief justice. Cause because it was, you know, Rehnquist died. And make you chief justice. It wasn't until the confirmation hearings that you started, you know, I started kind of getting nervous about him and we're right. But, you know, almost everyone said he was great. So right away, I mean, you know, we don't know that much about this guy. Of course, he's going to be at at a minimum a Roberts, but I think it's very likely he'll be close to an Alito. But I'm not even sure. I don't know. Okay. Now, and, and just one more point why I don't think he's 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 a Thomas is this, and, and this might sound funny, but this guy, Gorsuch, in 2006, he was voice voted in unanimously for the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. And just so you know, that was at a time when the Democrats were filibustering like anything. People like Owen, um, Miguel, Miguel Estrada, uh, Janice Rogers Brown, a whole bunch of them, Griffith from the Sixth Circuit, um, and then many others that never made it, that you know just never made it. They were they were borked. Just keep in mind, at that time, this guy sailed through. Now you could tell me, oh, he has such impressive credentials, even more than they. And that's not why. The why is because they were certain that these other ones would be like Clarence Thomas. And I could tell you, Priscilla Owen and Janice Rogers Brown, they're right. They were, and those are the type of people I wanted. This guy, I mean, and again, I don't, I don't have bad decisions from him. You usually can't tell. But that's the point. This is our history. You need someone that is known up front like a Bork. Oh, but the Democrats. Screw the Democrats. You have the votes this time. In Bork's era, we didn't have the majority. Many other times, we didn't have the majority. You know, a suitor, that's how it was. I mean, this, this, this all makes sense. Do it. 
I mean, if this is your whole claim, again, I don't even care because I think even if you get a Clarence Thomas, A, we need another vacancy, B, we need to reform the lower courts, and there's many reasons why it's impossible to do that in a meaningful way, and C, even if you did that, there's a lot of other reasons between standing, the nature of the cases that come before them, the precedent, the stereotype sizes, you're just, you're never going to get five votes on that court to overturn most of this garbage. You're just not. It's irremediably broken. What bothers me is what's reflected, the, the, just the naivety, it's born out of one thing. The disagreement between me and others is born out of one thing. The understanding of the severity of how bad things are. To me, Obergefell, along with many other immigration cases, affirmative action, disparate impact, election law, lower court stuff, and then the Obamacare thing, obviously, that was a watershed moment. We've become so desensitized. There is nothing more, there's, there's nothing greater than redefining the building block of all civilization from the bench. I mean, the violence Obergefell did to the Constitution is all chronicled in my chapter three. No one's written a book like that. Chapter three is still on sovereignty. But, you know, taking a step back with all this talk, we recognize we need a revolution. And that was the sense of urgency you heard from Scalia and even Alito. They were saying like, dude, like this is irremediably broken. And our guys are like back to their same thing. Oh, well, he's good on the Chevron deference. He's good on criminal justice. And oh, he's a good libertarian. And they just don't give a darn about the civilization issues. They're not, they're not, you know, you need a game changer. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm 100% sure he's not. But you certainly can't tell me you're sure he is. And, but, but we have the right and the opportunity to get a guy that we are. I want a Thomas. Why not? Why not? I don't understand it. Again, I'm not going to sit and oppose the guy. I'm just saying, you know, let's see what he says at the confirmation hearings. And I want to be, I want to hear him to be bold. No, Daniel, he has to just say a bunch of nothing so the Democrats don't hurt him. Well, the Democrats don't have the votes. So why don't we, why doesn't he stand up and actually say the truth in front of the American people that the courts aren't the final say, that it doesn't say marriage in, in, in the Constitution, that states have plenary power over election law? Why not? Is it that hard that American people understand that? But no, we, 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 we can't do that. There, there's, there's a couple other points I, I need to make here, and obviously we're, gosh, we're running out of time here. Um, and by the way, if you if you like more of this commentary and you like what we're doing, and you and and you wanna want us to remain unique from the thumb suckers and be true originalists, meaning we actually have original thought and original content, please support our sponsors. Support CRTV. That's our TV format. Sign up. 99 bucks a year, no commercials, no garbage. Levin TV, you get Steve Dace, Michelle Malkin, best lineup around. Um, and then go to preparewithcr.com, preparewithcr.com. Support our buddies, Patriot Supply. You get 140 ready-made meals to sit in your house in case of any emergency, just 99 bucks. Delicious, tasty meals. Anyway, back to, to my point here. I want to make this point. The capacity of a good judge to do good is nowhere near the capacity of a bad judge to harm our Constitution, our society, 
sovereignty, our, our security. Even if we had a Clarence Thomas for every Republican SCOTUS pick, for every lower court pick, which, by the way, is completely impossible because they just don't exist. I mean, you see how hard it is to find for the for Supreme Court. But even then, we can never combat the malfeasance of the left. Right? They are willing to lie and cheat and steal to, to get their results. L- let, me, let me explain it this way. The equivalent on the right of what the left does to advance their malvolent agenda through the courts would be as follows. It would be the equivalent of our judges ruling that we could force, we could coerce people to own guns or that we could throw homosexuals and transgenders in jail. That's the inverse of what they're doing. They're throwing Kim Davis in jail. They are um, forcing people to buy insurance, forcing people to, um, you know, engage in commerce. This is one of the many reasons why we will not fix the judiciary simply by, quote, picking good judges alone. We need wholesale judicial reform. But again, if you're going to make such a freaking big deal about this. I, for the conservative blogosphere, media, thumbsuckers, pundit, pundits, and everything to get up there and say, oh, the best pick imaginable. No, he's not. I mean, Grunder, Colladin, um, some of the state guys, state Supreme Court justices, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Thomas Lee, even Mar- even Pryor and Diane Sykes would have demonstrably been better. Um, and when I say better, I don't mean the outcome. I don't know what this guy's going to be, but I mean as a pick, with more, it would give us more confidence. And that, that's where it is. I want to quote to you from my good friend Ron DeSantis, congressman from Florida, um, Daytona Beach area, Jacksonville, or south of Jacksonville, where I think he really got this. He nailed it. You know, everyone else obviously slobbered. This is the second coming of Scalia. He's even better than Scalia. And um, Ron, Ron really put out an amazing, uh, um, amazing statement, and I'm going to link to it. And basically, he said this. So he started off praising his credentials, great background, some good stuff about him. And again, since background is not what we used to care about as conservatives, um, very much looks like in Scalia's image. But then he said, quote, And I couldn't have said this better. At the same time, being strong on paper tells a lot, but it doesn't tell everything. Perhaps the most important quality for a constitutionalist Supreme Court justice is something that Scalia demonstrated in spades. Backbone. There will be times when the proper reading of the Constitution will diverge sharply from the conventional wisdom of the D.C. elites, the legacy press, and the legal intelligentsia. Scalia never wilted in the face of intense criticism. Indeed, he reveled in it as it was a sign that he was properly discharging his constitutional duty. And I would add here, and certainly that applies to Clarence Thomas. And then I just want to finish here what he said. I can't tell you whether Gorsuch possesses a Scalia-esque spine. Time will tell. If he does, he has a chance to be a great justice and a fitting heir to the Scalia legacy. That's how I feel. (laughs) If you want to know in a nutshell, I agree with Ron DeSantis. I don't think he's not that. He might be, but you, you, we don't know that. And by default, you can't assume it. And by default, you have to assume it won't be there or not fully. It is such a rare commodity in the political realm, certainly in the legal realm. And what I mean by that is, 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 is there's a dirty little truth. A lot of what is killing us is, is the 14th Amendment bastardization. It's, 
it's wrapped up in um racial overtures, identity politics. So whether it's the homosexual agenda, whether it's um affirmative action, disparate impact, election laws, which are all about, you know, they make it about blacks and minorities, um, you know, and certainly immigration, marriage, religious liberty, even abortion to a certain extent. It's all wrapped up. If you are truly on our side, you have to be a racist. Now, God forbid, I'm, I'm saying it facetiously. I'm saying you have to be regarded by the left, not in like a fake beta half baked way like they might do now, but like fully Bork style. And, and let me tell you, there's a reason they burned Clarence Thomas to the ground. They knew exactly what he was about. And, and what he is about is he's saying your entire civil rights 14th Amendment BS is nonsense. And I don't care. Call me names. I'm going to follow our Constitution, our law. That's the problem. The same way in the political field, the political conservative field, they all agree Obamacare is bad. They all agree the tax system is bad. They all agree that I don't like some of the social issues, what they're doing. I don't, I'm pro-life. But are you really going to do what it takes to change it? Same thing in the legal profession. All the Federalist Society, legal eagle elites, the legal conservative elite profession, you know, a lot of them even, you know, like my articles. They, they'll agree with me in the abstract. But will these guys implement it? You can't assume it, and I just don't see where you see it. And that gets to Alito a little bit. You see a lot in Alito's dissents that they're more nuanced. They're not as categorical. He doesn't often, you know, he didn't sign on to as many, you know, there was there were a lot of cases where lower courts were just doing crazy things, and conservatives would get screwed over by the circuits, like Ninth Circuit, appeal it to the Supreme Court, and it takes four. You need four to agree to take it, and. Roberts wouldn't agree. Scalia Thomas would issue sharply worded dissents. Most of the time, I wouldn't see Alito on that. Now, you know, again, I'm just saying that there is a clear difference. Um, and I'm, I'm fine if he's an Alito. Okay, that, that's good. I, I love Alito. But, you know, again, if this is the one pick, don't tell me it's the best pick in the world. Now, some of it you might tell me is, do we really control the Senate? You know, you have Lisa Murkowski, you have Susan Collins. They, they, they announced they're opposing Betsy DeVos for education secretary. So I'm not blaming Donald Trump. I, you know, he, I sympathize with him. Look, I have a screwy Republican Senate. But then don't lie to me. I'm just saying don't say this is the best pick imaginable. The best pick imaginable is a Clarence Thomas. And right? If you're telling me I'm scared of Murkowski, so I'm doing him, solid pick, albeit not the best, fine. Just admit it. But don't, don't assume it. Everyone's saying we have a home run. No, what we have is this. What we have is... What we have is the equivalent of watching a baseball game. And let's say you see someone connect, you see the batter, the, you see the pitch, you see the batter connect with the ball. It looks like he connected pretty solidly. And then the camera jerks away and you don't see the rest. You don't have all the information. I'd say, look, at a minimum, that's probably a solid base hit. Maybe depending on where it gets into the field, it could be a double, but I don't know. Maybe there's a shot. It, it, you know, gets over, you know, just over the, the the closest area of right field, 310, 330 feet away, but probably doesn't clear, even if it did, probably not a home run. That's kind of where we're at. 
But there's one more nuance to that analogy. It would have to not be a game, but a home run derby where, you know, it's set up where it's pretty easy to hit a home run. And our expectation is that we should be able to hit a home run. And that's my point. And by the way, this all proves it's circular logic why I believe that the courts are irremediably broken, why we need judicial reform, and why we're never going to fix it by merely appointing better judges. And this is one of the reasons, because when we have the opportunity, as much as we talk about it, we never really do it. I mean, think about it. We, 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 we've been suitored forever, for 50 years, and then we swore we wouldn't do it again, and you know we got Harry Meyer, so we complained. Um, and we got Alito, who was, all right, you know, okay. And we got John Roberts. So what, I mean, what's to say that this is not, you watch the left's reaction. I mean, it's not specifically what they're saying. And I I know I'm going to get killed for going so overtime here. And I apologize, you know, commanding all your time here, but we're, we're into 40 minutes. I promise this will be the last point. And that's the libertarianism. There's a dirty little secret going around. Much of the Federalist Society and the center-right legal establishment is not conservative anymore. They're libertarian. And what I mean by that is this. They don't give a damn about the civilization issues, the social issues, the things that will change the character of our country. They care about the corporate libertarian issues like environmental and labor regulations. Now, look, I'm I'm on the same page. We're 100% agree, but I'm just saying where it's coming from, that's where all the money is coming. That's why so much of the conservative professional movement is really more libertarian. Um, because that's where the money is coming from. There's an outsized share representation over and beyond what exists among the conservative grassroots. Um, but that that's what they are. So, ra- so rather than being incensed about what the courts are doing striking down good stuff, they want to use the specter of judicial supremacy to strike down um, – the, the bad stuff that blue states do or environmental regs. So that's why you're hearing all this about this guy is awesome on, on administrative law, on the Chevron doctrine, which means basically that, you know, you're not going to when when executive agencies go and really step outside of statutory authority and have overzealous environmental regulations that are very much beyond the scope of the Clean Water or Clean Air Act um, there and, and uh, you know, a power plant company sues they're going to strike down that action. Now, look, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm fine. You want to do it, that, 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 that's fine. I, I agree. But that's what I'm saying. There, that's why all of a sudden the Chevron deference, that's all you hear. And you're like, you know, you remember when Rush Limbaugh used to have his montages, like he needs gravitas, he needs gravitas, gravitas. There's a certain buzzword. So the conservative thumbsuckers, I'm uh, sorry, libertarians, um, <laughs> Chevron deference, Chevron, 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 Chevron. Like, really? I mean, we literally, not only are the courts becoming the final arbiter of every social and political issue, promoting social transformation without representation, they are preventing us from winning elections anymore because they're throwing out every map, every voter ID law, every, I mean, this is, we are losing elections. We can't purge the roles from illegal aliens, from from duplicative and, and, uh, you know, fraudulent voters. I don't hear a word about that. Where is he on that? No, we, we, we're not interested in finding out. Immigration. If you've read my stuff, you know that is the foundation. We will lose our sovereignty. Everything Trump does will be thrown out by the courts. I promise you that. We're seeing that. It's the Chevron doctrine. You hear it's, it's the environmental regs. 
it's criminal justice, like striking down overzealous police actions or, or, or statutes. And look, sometimes I agree, but a lot of times I don't agree with them, actually. You know, just just keep in mind the same way the left has an overzealous interpretation of the 14th Amendment dumping everything into it. I do believe some libertarians throw everything into the Fourth Amendment, too. Now, I don't I understand certain things you might view as a little bit tyrannical as a matter of policy and you'll oppose them. And that's why you have state legislatures. But do they meet the threshold of Fourth Amendment? That's a complicated discussion. But anyway, and, and guns and guns are very important. But that's all they care about. Criminal justice, Chevron and guns so uh, let me say this we 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 got the message loud and clear neil gorsuch is amazing on the administrative state on ratcheting down the administrative state and i am pretty confident he will likely be clarence thomas style boldness in his willingness to strike down even long-standing bad precedent as it relates to that but i want i want a guy with that same zeal against chevron I want it on marriage. I want it on the homosexual agenda and the transgender agenda. I want it on immigration law. I want it on election law. I want it on disparate impact. I want it on affirmative action. I have the right to know. And again, because of the politics and the cult, the pressure of the legal, legal intelligentsia and the culture, it is a lot harder to do those things. In other words... Because the legal, the libertarian legal elite and the Federalist Society has created an entire support network and movement around this momentum of getting rid of, rid of the Chevron doctrine, I'm I'm not so worried about the issue because I know they're going to have the, you know, the guts to do it. I am not confident, without anyone giving a darn about those other issues, that there's going to be pressure for this guy to do that. Those are my thoughts in complete in for, you know, 45 minutes or so. Take it or leave it. Tweet me at RM Conservative your thoughts. Thanks for indulging me. By the way, I'm going to have a number of seminal pieces out on the courts, the role of the courts, echoing this, what I think we should really be doing. I'm going to have a piece out on the lower courts, kind of gaming that out. A lot more to come. Thank you all. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.